Welcome to Sterile Packaging on Track Radio. This podcast delivers insights on medical device packaging from regulatory affairs, process management, as well as discussions on the latest in sterile device packaging technologies. Each episode, our host, Charlie Webb, speaks with global experts to bring the most relevant information to our esteemed listeners. As sterile packaging compliance becomes increasingly more challenging, it is vital to avoid information gaps that could risk your medical device packaging program. Avoid package failure risks and build your skill set from your colleagues' experience and from insights from sterile device packaging subject matter experts. You're listening to Sterile Packaging on Track Radio, Spot Radio. Hello, everyone. It's me again, Charlie Webb, broadcasting from my tiny little studio here in the beautiful Central California coast here in Santa Barbara County. We're actually in the Danish town, American Danish town of Solvang. Now, some of you may have visited us here and had cookies and able skivers. We were just voted America's most Christmassy city. So that's quite an honor. My wife loves it. She's a Christmas crazy person. And it's just a beautiful little town. If you haven't been here, come on up and visit us. Well, a lot is being said about sterilants lately. A lot talked about regarding ETO, safety issues with certain sterilants, problems with sterilants on certain instruments. And so... Uh, discussion's been going around forever, but I think now that we're looking at new modalities and methodology, it's interesting to continue this conversation. Even on patient room disinfectants, we've gone some new directions. And if you want to learn more about that, visit my other podcast, Sterile Aware Podcast, where we talk about that. Well, I have two amazing uh, people with me today, and I want to uh, talk about their cool new technology. The company is Sterile State. So without further ado, Let's get them on the podcast right now. And Megan, Dr. Frost, I'm going to start with you. Maybe you can tell me a little bit about your background. My name is Megan Frost. I am formally trained as an analytical chemist. My undergraduate degrees are in cell biology and chemistry. And I did my graduate work in analytical chemistry and development of implantable sensors. My expertise is in nitric oxide chemistry, measurement, release, generation. Okay, Kurt, maybe tell us a little bit about your background. I'm an attorney that uh, practiced law for 40 years. I worked with hospitals, physicians, and medical device companies. And then I started working a little bit with Sterile State, which was a very small company as the general counsel. And now I'm the CEO. Our company is, is a small research and development company in northern Michigan. You and I had a brief conversation not too long ago and talked a little bit about new sterilants sort of changing. There's always been a shifting in our industry for a while. E-beam looked like it was going to be the de facto in-house sterilization modality. A lot of other sterilants have sort of come and gone. We keep hold of some of the chestnuts and try to work with those the best we can and manage safety and so forth. But tell me a little bit about sterile state and what it has to offer. It is a new gas sterilization method that uh, Megan has worked with for more than 20 years. And at this point, Megan, why don't you describe what it is that you've invented and how it will work? So what we have developed is a series, is a system that allows us to store and deliver nitric oxide as a sterilant in a number of configurations in many different ways. And the reason we're using nitric oxide is that is the natural molecule that the human body produces to fight infections. So we're mimicking, essentially what we're doing is mimicking how the human body deals with microbial infection. And we have come up with a method that 
will allow us to both store and then release the appropriate amount of nitric oxide to allow sterilization to take place. Now, you know, in hospitals, ETO and autoclaves are popular, obviously. On the medical device manufacturing side, gamma seems to be the um, sterile choice. Where is your call point? Is this for hospitals or is this for medical device manufacturers? It's really for both. And it's for both because we can sterilize reprocessed equipment that's used in a hospital over and over again. And devices that currently cannot be sterilized by any other technique, like, for example, narrow lumen long endoscopes are devices that currently cannot be sterilized at high level disinfected only in hospitals. So when we originally started doing sterilization, we were focused on sterilizing those as a specific example of something that cannot currently be sterilized and we can sterilize it. And that's essentially one of the hardest cases is to sterilize that device. And we can't apply our technology. We have applied our technology to also be used for original medical packaging and less complex devices. If we can do the very difficult devices, they're difficult for two reasons. One reason is the geometry of them makes them challenging to sterilize. And the second thing that makes them challenging is materials that those devices are composed of. So one thing that nitric oxide is very good at doing is gently sterilizing complex devices that have metal components that have epoxies and adhesives that hold pieces together that join together metals and polymer materials. So all of those places where you have interfaces that are very challenging and typically are the places where devices fail when they've been sterilized by something like steam or ethylene oxide, we don't damage those interfaces at all. So we're very gentle on a huge array of materials. So we can do electronics, we can do batteries, we can do polymers, we can do metals. So from the perspective of we're very gentle on the devices themselves, and we also, our sterilization technique is useful under ambient conditions. And when I say ambient conditions, that's pressure, temperature, humidity. So when you look at something like an autoclave or ETO that has to be very carefully controlled environmental conditions, high pressure, cycle times have to be carefully monitored and controlled. Our sterilization technique is easier to use than those because we use ambient conditions and we use a gas that's not toxin to human beings. So we're easier in the hospital and for the reprocessed equipment that can't be sterilized either by geometry or by materials. We can sterilize those and we're just very gentle on materials in general and under ambient conditions. So all of those things together make this really attractive sterilization technique for hospitals or MDMs. You know, about two years ago, less than two years ago, I was hospitalized and they were checking me out for a stomach issue. And so I was scoped. And as a result of that, I got a H. pylori infection that turned out later to become a bleeding ulcer, uh, which had me rushed to the hospital and nearly died. When you're looking at a device that costs maybe $5,000, obviously hospitals are very keen on preserving that part. Hospitals are very cost contained, as you know. So I think sometimes the tail is trying to wag the dog when we're looking at ways to make disposable endoscopes where maybe a better solution are sterilants that aren't so harsh on those expensive devices. The other advantage that we have over the cleaning techniques with those scopes in particular, so that was my, originally the challenge was, can we sterilize this? And I, we, in our company, say, ask me a hard question because we figured out a way to sterilize those. And not only do we sterilize the devices, but we can put them in terminal sterile barrier packaging. So you sterilize the device and then it gets stored sterile. That's another thing that people would be shocked about is when those devices are 
high level disinfectant, then they're put in cabinets and the, the cabinets are just open and closed and mm. things get put in and taken out, which it's shocking. I think that most people probably believe that those devices are sterile when they go to hospital and get scoped and they're not. Yeah, I was really surprised. And as I say, it almost killed me. So it, as a result of that, I started that whole initiative just to look deeper in ways where we have some real black holes along the path of the last hundred yards of delivering uh, patient uh, products. So how is your sort of chemistry change from other gas systems like this? I mean, what, is there something inherent to it that makes it a better sterilant? It's safe. And that's a big change over the other sterilants. And while Megan is going to talk about the chemistry, what I can tell you is that nitric oxide has been used for decades in the lungs of premature infants. And if it can be used in the lungs of those fragile beings, and by the way, at much higher dosages than we use, like a thousand times higher, without adverse events, then it is clearly the safest sterilant that's available. And right now, I say available, we are in front of the FDA currently to get this method approved. But as far as the chemistry goes, my last chemistry class was in 1972. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> it might be best if Megan uh, described that to you. So I'll shrink, that makes me laugh when Kurt mentions that because that's almost the same year I was born. But I'm oh, gosh. <laughs> Don't you can't tell us but, old people's story like that. <laughs> right, right. So I will tell you that the nitric oxide is the molecule that the human body produces. And when I started graduate school in the late 90s, uh, NO had been named the molecule of the year in 1998 because it had finally been proven that the human body produced it. And this was a shock because it's a free radical gas. It's conventional wisdom would say it should be very toxic and it should do all these horrible things. And it turns out virtually every cell in the human body produces nitric oxide. And it produces in a very controlled manner. It's not just a free release of NO that's gone bonkers, but your body produces it in specific locations at specific rates for specific purposes. And what we have done with the chemistry that I've spent the last, so I started working on this in the late 90s and I'm still working on it. We have developed a series of polymeric materials that can store this free radical gas that is really pretty difficult to handle. It's difficult to measure. We can store it and then we can release it when we're ready for it to be released. And so we have the means by which we can put it in a reservoir. And then when we're ready to have a device sterile, for example, you put it in the packaging that's made out of our polymeric materials. You seal that packaging, you activate the release of the NO, and then the device is sterile and it stays in that packaging until you're ready to use it. So the packaging both delivers the sterilant and maintains a sterile barrier until that device is ready to be used. And so I just glossed over 25 years of my intellectual <laughs> effort trying to make these polymers. So it's not, a lot of people say, well, if this is such a great thing and it's so good, why hasn't somebody else done it yet? Mm -hmm. And I don't really know, but I'm going to tell you that we didn't invent this overnight. This has been over two decades of my personal life's work trying to develop these materials. And they're to a point now where they can be used at room temperature. The initial materials that released NO in a similar manner had to be stored at minus 80. That's mm. not ever going to be practical for a medical device manufacturer mm -hmm. or for a hospital to use. Our materials can be stored at room temperature. They're manufacturable and they're safe. And what I like to, Kurt mentioned that NO was used to in premature babies to help their lungs mature. And when we talk about the safety of nitric oxide, so common question is what happens when somebody opens that package in the doctor's office that has a device that was sterilized by NO and it dissipates so quickly because it reacts with atmospheric oxygen that you can't even detect it more than 12 inches away from the package that you just opened. And when you're immediately at the package, you only detect the NO when you open that package for something like five seconds. We've done the experiments to 
prove that you're not exposing people to NO, but even if we were exposing people to NO, if you're willing to put it under pressure in the lungs of babies, the most fragile human beings that are out there, and it doesn't cause problems for those babies, I think you can open a package in the doctor's office. And the other component to that that I will mention that I like to tell people in terms of the safety of this is your nasal passages produce NO. And so there was an old wives' tale that said, if you have a sinus infection, you should hum. Mm. And when I started graduate school, there was a group at Johns Hopkins whom I forget exactly what the group was, and there's no disrespect to these people, but they were going around trying to disprove all of these medical wives' tales. <laughs> and the two of them that I specifically remember, one was if you're pregnant and you have heartburn, your baby's going to have a full head of hair. And it mm. turns out actually that's true because wow. the same hormone that promotes hair growth in utero in babies also causes heartburn. Mm. So that one was proven correct. The other one that was proven correct is if you hum, you actually do help sinus infections because humming increases the generation of NO in your sinus passages by like 10 times. Wow. So if you're sick, if you have a sinus infection and you can tolerate it, you should hum as much as you can because you're going to clear the microorganisms that are causing the sinus infection <laughs> by increasing your own production of NO. That sounds like so, something that would be in farmer's almanac or something. Yeah, exactly. And, and and you would think that is crazy talk, but it's actually true. And so from the safety profile of this, we really are harnessing what the human body already does. And we're doing it in a way that is controlled and reproducible in our medical packaging that allows us to achieve sterility of reprocessed devices of original medical packaging. So it's an exciting thing. And it, once you start telling people about this technology, almost every time you go into a doctor's office, you're going to sit there, you're going to look around and you're going to see devices that could be coated with our polymer or surfaces that could be coated with our polymer. You're going to say, this would be a safer place if that counter released NO, if the tubing over there that's delivering an IV released NO. You can just go through and you can see all kinds of places this technology could be applied that will be very powerful in terms of helping to control hospital-acquired infections. So that's, I'm kind of getting off track here because I get really excited when I talk about this. Because, <laughs> and you should, that's amazing stuff. Yeah, because we now have a, a material that functions at room temperature so well, in this controlled way, it's like the sky's the limit for what we want to apply it to. One of the challenges that we have, obviously ETO has some downsides that the hospitals have been struggling with for years. And there's a bigger human factor dynamic that comes into play when sterilizing instruments. I mean, every time I go to the dentist office, I have one eye on the autoclave over there. And really those aren't <laughs> processes aren't even really sort of codified by the FDA. It's more of a OSHA sort of requirement for sterilizing instruments. And so there's a lot of human factors that come into play. One of the things that we do as a medical device packaging machine company is that we look at ways to do what McDonald's called dummying down in the 70s where we try and no disrespect for workers, but our goal, really our mandate requirement is that we try to simplify processes. So as the poke yoke, as a Six Sigma person would say, we're trying to idiot-proof, mistake-proof the process. And again, not implying that these people are idiots, but the process when they become repetitive. We're dreaming about what's for dinner. It's easy for us to make mistakes. And I think a lot of the issues that have come up with when there's been issues with sterilants, particularly at the call point of hospitals, there's been a human factor. And so we try to cook in to our technology systems that require firewalls and passwords and those sort of things. Because when you have a, a dangerous sterilant, you have to make sure that an operator doesn't inadvertently misuse it and uh, release all hell in the uh, 
SPD department. So on, on your processes, I guess the thing that sounds refreshing to me is that even in the event of a, we'll call it a meltdown in your system, we have pretty much inert stuff that we don't have to worry about those environmental things, ventilation and so forth, that we really have to be keen on with uh, something like ETO. That's exactly right. It's absolutely safe. And it's part of our logo that sterile state is a higher state of safe. And you're right. If there was a package that released all of the nitric oxide that was included in it, for example, for the sterilization of a transesophageal echocardiogram device, if it was all released instantly, which it, it isn't, but if it all was, it would not harm anyone not the person that's closest to it or anyone else in that room. So safety is a huge advantage for this system that Megan has developed. And Charlie, you would not have had to go through what you went through if uh, your device had been sterilized with our gizmos. It sounds amazing, but with all of these amazing technologies, particularly when you're the first one to plant the flag, you're met with the regulatory issues. As an attorney, you certainly, that's your, your whole uh, workflow. On the regulatory side, how slow is it going to move for you to be able to get sort of green-lighted on this? Obviously, for medical devices, you know, we have to understand the sort of sturdiness, the robustness. Obviously, safety is going to be something that obviously is looked at very carefully and well, it should. What are you looking at for the regulatory challenges ahead? Well, we know the regulators quite well because we've been in front of them for quite some time. And the FDA has been actually delightful to work with because we are bringing to them a sterilization method that I think that they've been looking for for quite some time. We don't use ETO. There are things that we can sterilize, like those, the long scopes and the TEE probes that others can't. And so even though we're a very small company, they have been terrific to work with. I can't tell you when we will get approval, but I can say that we're working with them very closely right now. So we're in front of them with the de novo Perfect. Um, filing. On the MDM side, you know, most of our customers are using a 1073 Tyvac to a clear film like Mylar. So there can be gas exchange onto the device after packaging. But as we move into some other medicine embedded devices like stents, they're going into foil pouches or going into a, a gas barrier clear film pouch in order to preserve the environment inside that pouch. So as a result of that, these are going to be a Radiated. Does your company have a solution for device manufacturers that are using this non-gas exchange sort of material like foil and mylar? Sure. Our, our system works with any of those products that you just mentioned, and they would not need to be irradiated. And as you know, sometimes radiation has some trouble with some substances that medical devices are made from. But overall, for the manufacturers, they won't need Tyvac anymore. And for the radiation type folks, there isn't the need to ship any device after it's been made and packaged to a sterilizer because the device that we sterilize gets sterilized starting the moment that it's packaged and it doesn't have to go to a regional sterilization facility. So you save a lot of time, you save money, you save trucking and environmental impacts that trucking has. All of that is eliminated with this system. So for companies like we have one of our customers in a million square foot clean room and they have hundreds of our packaging systems. And so they're shipping out through the big back door many millions of pouches each month. 
So does your product scale to that sort of a throughput for companies that are selling things like catheters, more low dollar, high volume device makers, or is this more, at least on your first rollout, going to be more for the lower throughput medical device manufacturers? No, actually, one of our customers will be a very high volume sterilizer of the hundreds of millions of devices a year. And so it works actually for both ends of that market. And but that was a very good question. So I'm still trying to get my head around it just for our listeners. What does the system look like? What is the workflow of you have a device? What happens next? Well, the device, if I can describe it this way, comes out of the device making machine and it gets packaged. Now, most of those packages today that are ETO sterilized have a Tyvek window of some description. Sometimes it's a Tyvek top to a tray or there's a band that goes across the pouch. doesn't matter. Those are then going to be shipped to a sterilization plant, sometimes regionally, sometimes outside the United States. And that's not necessary with our system. When the device is placed in its packaging and sealed, that's when our coating inside of the package starts creating the gas. And within hours, usually, it's sterilized. Interesting. Now, is there indicators that you've developed to show that the sterilant is working or finished a cycle? I know obviously with ETO and with gamma, we have indicators so we know that the process is working. How do you address that with your product? There is a chemical indicator that shows that the right amount of nitric oxide has been within the enclosure for the right amount of time. And if the indicator shows that it's green, it starts at white. If it's green, it means that it's been through the entire cycle and it's good to go. So as the sort of devil's advocate here, device companies are always so concerned, again, because they're using some sort of a medicinal co-product with a device. Any residual chemistry that's on the device that would uh, maybe uh, not live well with some of these uh, chemistries that device makers add on to these parts? So the short answer is there are no residual problems of anything left behind. The long answer to that question is when I first started developing uh, and releasing polymeric materials, the intention was to use the materials for fully implanted devices that some would stay in the body forever, some that would stay in the body just during the use of a device like an intravascular sensor or something in that nature. So the materials were designed, the chemistry of the materials was designed to be completely compatible with full implantation in the human body. and so. That meant that it could deal with the inflammatory response and cellular processes around it, as well as not interfere with the function of the device. And so that was the standard by which all these materials were developed. So we've done testing. There are no residuals left. I'm not going to say that there's never going to be a material that we're not compatible with, but we haven't found one yet. And so we can sterilize quite an array of materials without leaving any residuals or changing the chemistry of the materials that the devices are manufactured from. Does it work as an oxidizer as some sterilants do? And is that at all any studies on how it may break down a polymer or stainless or any sort of material that would be on a sort of vanilla medical device? So nitric oxide is an oxidizer, but it's not functioning as an oxidizer in this situation. The chemical conditions aren't appropriate or not what need to happen for that oxidation to take place. When NO is actually a very common question that we haven't touched on, but I'm going to mention it because it's something people always ask. Why does this kill microbes and it doesn't damage human cells? And the answer to that question is mammalian cells have the, the cellular machinery to deal with nitrosative stress, which is what we're generating with nitric oxide. 
microorganisms don't. So the nitric oxide is causing nitrosative stress that is damaging and killing, eliminating the microbes. And that chemistry is pretty gentle and it's not doing anything to the stainless components. It's not doing anything to the polymeric backbone of the materials. So like I said, could we ever find a material that NO would damage if we sought one out? Probably, but materials that are used to manufacture medical devices are not sensitive to NO. Well, you know, we're almost running out of time. This sounds so exciting to me. I mean, it's like, take my money kind of technology, right? So, but as a startup, obviously, like every startup, you have challenges for funding. So let me ask you an indelicate question here. How are you guys uh, seeking funding? How is that going? How's the, what's the trajectory of the company look like say, over the next few years as you try to reach a market release? For the recent past, we have been funded entirely by friends and family. And as it turns out, Apparently, Megan and I have a lot of friends because we have had <laughs> we, we've had no trouble raising money. That's awesome. And now we may need to raise money in this coming year, but as of right now, we're blessed to have sufficient funds to do the testing that needs to be done and to add more people to our staff. But we are, of course, you know, maybe mid-year we'll be looking to do another raise. But so far, it's been friends now. So long as the company's doing well, you know, all those folks will stay friends. <laughs> mm, that's great. I'm a, um, I have several patents. I've been an inventor now for 30 years. I have a lot of everything from surgical instruments to uh, mostly medical device packaging systems. But every time I start scratching my head, all my friends unfriend me on Facebook and everybody goes silent. So <laughs> they've learned that. So I just do my own funding these days. So, which is great because it makes you a lot more careful with your technology. Man, this sounds so cool. I definitely would like to do a follow-up on this as this project progresses so we can have a conversation and uh, all of us say, remember when, as uh, this goes through, and I'm happy to have a platform to be able to spread the word for you guys. It sounds so exciting. Any um, closing thoughts from both of you before I release you back into the wild today? I just think that this technology, what I like about it, besides it's interesting chemistry and I'm a chemist, is that it's an opportunity to actually do good. We can do better as in medical device industry. We don't need to be releasing gases that are causing cancer for patients and mm. all kinds of problems. So I feel like I really want this technology out there because it's going to solve a problem and it's going to make smarter material doing what we need it to do without changing the use of it. So the user's not going to know it's any different, but we know that as an industry, we've done better. I'm really hoping we can drive this to that completion. And Charlie, my thought is we very much appreciate the opportunity to speak with you and your listeners. And if anyone is interested in talking to us about the materials and what we can do, they can reach us on sterilestate.com. Well, guys, this has been such a great conversation. You know, I just love innovation like this, sort of shocking innovation, really. I love it when we're taking giant leaps forward instead of sort of incremental granular movements We see a lot of that in sort of innovation centered around the medical device space, medical device manufacturing. So these big paradigm leaps are exciting. I had the great privilege and honor to be able to speak at last year's medical device and manufacturing show in Anaheim, California. And a big part of my discussion, the kernel really of it, was how we're slow to innovate in this space and what effect does that have to patient outcomes and healthcare in general. So when I see these, uh, as I say, big paradigm leaps forward, it's very exciting to hear. Well, listen, if you want to learn more about Sterile State and what they're doing, I urge you to visit their website. If you look at the podcast description today, I have a link to how to contact our guest today as well as their website. So please take a look there if you want to um, 
have another look forward on this amazing technology. Well, medical device manufacturers and medical device packaging professionals, thank you all for hanging out with me again. Look forward to having you back on the next episode of Spot Radio. This is Charlie Webb. We'll see you next time. This podcast is made possible by Vanderstahl Scientific. Executive producer, Lisa Wasper. Director of media service, Hector Garcia. Audio engineering and editing by Joel and our friends at East Coast Studios. And this is Jonathan Lockwood saying thanks for your support, medical device manufacturers. See you next time on Spot Radio. Spot Radio.